Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. In looking at this prayer, I want to ask just three questions. First, what is Jesus teaching? Second, who is Jesus teaching? And third, why does Jesus teach us to pray this way? So first, what? Second, who? And third, why? So first, the what? What is Jesus teaching? Well, we have to be careful and read this petition very slowly. Because Jesus doesn't say, forgive us as you have forgiven others. He doesn't say that. Nor does he say, help us to forgive others as you have forgiven us. He doesn't say that. You know, these statements would make a lot more sense, and certainly it would be more sensible, practical, and doable. But that's not what Jesus says. He says this instead. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. St. Augustine called this the terrible petition. Because when we pray this, we are actually asking God to treat us in the same way we treat other people. We're asking God, God, deal with me in the same manner, in the same way I deal with people who sin against me. We're asking God, be merciful to me to the degree I am merciful towards others. Now, I know the church has always had this tendency of watering down the things Jesus said. Right? We like to take his words and just bring it down a few notches. Right? We, we want to take Jesus' words and we try to make them less offensive, less harsh, uh, less overbearing. I remember the first time I visited China, I was so excited. You know, I loved Chinese food. And because I loved Chinese food, I thought that I would also love just food in China. But I have to admit, the first few meals, they weren't that great. They weren't that enjoyable. You know, I had prepared a number of restaurants, famous restaurants that I wanted to go. Um, And even though the dishes that I ordered were the same as some of the dishes I order here in the States, the taste was different. The food in China, the taste was just so much stronger. Uh, The cilantro had a much, much stronger uh, scent. Uh, The the fermented beans, uh, they were much more earthy. It was just more potent, the food. And that's when I realized even the so-called authentic Chinese food in America is different from just food in China because the ingredients are different. The ingredients here are less pungent. The water is different. The size of the heat, the walk, it's just much more subdued. And I realized that, yeah, Chinese food in America is scaled down actually a lot. You know, in a similar way, we tend to do this with Jesus' words. We receive Jesus' words, we read it, and what do we do? We, we dilute it to make them more palatable, to make them more uh, politically correct and more easily achievable. But when it comes to this prayer, this petition, 
There is no wiggle room. We can't finagle out of this. We can't do interpretive jujitsu to try to make it to try to, to make it sound more Christianese. See, Jesus is quite clear. When we pray, we ought to ask God, forgive us as we have forgiven others. And just so that there is no confusion, so that there is no misunderstanding, Jesus reinforces this a few verses later. He says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Or in a much more succinct way, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's quite clear. Now, some of you might be confused at this point. You might be confused because it sounds like Jesus is conditioning our forgiveness upon our ability to forgive others. And that sounds like the complete opposite of what the gospel says. Friends, we know the gospel is news. It's proclamation of what Jesus has already done for us. We know that in the gospel we are forgiven by grace. That God loved us even though we were unlovable. That salvation is a gift freely bestowed upon us because the giver is merciful. So, if that's the case, why does Jesus teach us to pray in this way? Why does it sound like Jesus is conditioning our forgiveness upon the forgiveness that we extend to others. Well, to understand this verse appropriately, we have to remember who Jesus is teaching, which is our next question. Who? Who is he talking to? If we look at this context overall, starting from Matthew 5 on to 7, the Sermon on the, on the Mount, we see that Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. In other words, these are people who are following Jesus. So to be clear, this is not a prayer for non-believers to become believers, right? This is not a conversion prayer. This prayer is not for the gospel curious, but instead we find it's for the gospel committed. It's a disciple's prayer. This is the reason why the prayer begins, Our Father. You see, this prayer is for people who have already been adopted into God's family. It's for people who are presently sitting at God's table, people who are presently breaking bread with Jesus, and people who have tasted and are continuing to taste every morning the sweet mercies of God. See, this prayer is uttered by those who have experienced unconditional forgiveness and love. People who have sung amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And as people who have received mercy, Jesus is teaching that the expectation is. In fact, let me reword it. 
He's teaching that the demand is that Jesus' disciples deal with others, that we deal with others in the same way God has dealt with us. You see, as a parent, uh, the expectations I have for my children are different from the expectations I have for my children's friends. When their friends come over, I don't expect them to abide by all of our household rules. Why? Because they don't have the same shared experience. But my children, whom I love, whom I raised, I expect them. No, I demand that they live according to our household ethics, the Joe household rules. You know, one of the rules of the Joe household is that whenever we order pizza, we only get plain pizza, only cheese pizza, okay? One bite, everyone knows the rules. But when their friends come over, I don't expect them to know that. And so, you know, if there's an occasion where we order pizza, sometimes I would ask uh, their friends, hey, what kind of pizza do you like? And if they dare say pepperoni, I would explain to them, in our house, we don't put pigs on perfection. You see, parents, the expectations you have for your children is different, isn't it? I mean, as a child, have you ever had the audacity to ask your parents, Mom, Dad, how come we can't do what the Joneses do? How do they respond every single time? Because we are not the Joneses. We don't do what the Joneses do because we are not the Joneses. You see, the family of God is a family that has experienced deep sacrificial forgiveness. It's a family that knows what redemption is. It's a family that has experienced forgiveness. And because of that, our Father demands that we also seek forgiveness from Him, but that we also give and extend forgiveness to others. Now, Jesus tells a story in Matthew 11 to really illustrate this point. It's about a servant who owed a king a large sum of money. In the text, it says 10,000 talents. Now, one talent is equal to 20 years of wages. So 10,000 talents means 200,000 years of wages, which equals about $30 trillion, uh, more than the total debt the United States is carrying right now. It's this enormous amount that no one could ever pay back for generations and generations and generations. It's an eternal debt. That's how we have to think of it. Now the king calls the servant in, says, You owe me this. Repay me. And as the story goes, the servant gets on his knees and he begs. You know what he says? He says, I will pay you back. There's no way he can pay the king back. What does the king do? He sees this servant. Maybe he's lying. Maybe he's not sincere. I don't know. But he sees that the servant has this debt that he cannot pay back. And he says, you know what? I'll take the hit. Your debt, I will take it. 
no more. And he sends him out. But the story doesn't end there. That servant, now being freed from this enormous amount of debt, he goes out and he sees someone. It says a fellow servant. Someone who owed him a small sum of money. A hundred denarii. The same thing happens though. This servant who was just forgiven, 10,000 talents, sees the servant and he starts choking him by the neck. And he says, pay me my money. This servant gets on his knees and he says the exact same thing. He says, be patient with me and I will pay everything back. Do you know what this man does? He says, no. And he has, he, he, he orders that this man who owes him money, a hundred denarii, the small sum of money, he orders that this man be put into prison. This, this servant, who was forgiven an enormous amount of debt, refused to have mercy on others. Now the people who were around saw this. The other fellow servants, they see what's going on. And they are so disturbed. They are so outraged. I mean, if you think about it, this man lent someone a hundred denarii after he had borrowed this large sum of money from the king. So this money that he lent out was probably even, it, was, it wasn't even his to begin with. It probably belonged to the king. And when the people see this, they are so upset. And they tell the king, and the king in anger calls the servant back. That's the king calling. And he says, you wicked servant. I canceled all of your debt. Shouldn't you have done the same thing? And what he does is in anger, he puts that servant in jail. And the parable ends in this way. Jesus saying this. In this way, the same way, my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive from your heart. See, Jesus here in this parable in Matthew 18 teaches that servants are a, are a reflection of their king. Children are a reflection of their father. Our responses, our actions are a reflection of who we are. So, who is this prayer for? Who is Jesus teaching? He's teaching his disciples. I know we often call this the Lord's Prayer, but maybe a more appropriate title for this prayer is the Disciples' Prayer. It's what disciples of Jesus ought to pray. Third question, why do we pray this? Why? Why is Jesus teaching us to pray this? Well, remember, there's a teaching aspect to this. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray how to live a life of discipleship. And we find that there's something circular about this prayer. First, it begins with, we've been forgiven by God. We've been adopted into the family of God. That's the starting point. That gives us the strength to forgive others who've wronged us. Because we have received an enormous amount of mercy, we can give mercy to those who've wronged us. So we're forgiven. We forgive, and then what do we do? We go back to God in prayer daily, asking for the forgiveness of our sins. Right? The previous verse we read, 
give us this day our daily bread. We're asking every day for bread. Likewise, Jesus intends that we ask for forgiveness every day. So we go to God, forgive us of our debts, just as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. And this goes back and forth, back and forth. We're forgiven, we forgive others, we go to God asking for forgiveness. And this is cyclical. This goes on and on and on and on. And I think the reason why Jesus teaches us to pray in this way is because if ever this cycle is broken, we can stop. If ever we're at this point where we don't forgive others, we can stop our prayers. We can seek out our brothers and sisters. We can go and forgive reconcile, and then come back to prayer and ask, God, forgive me of my sins. And this goes around and around and around. You know, Jesus says earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, if you're offering a gift on the altar and you remember that you have a grudge against someone, you remember that there's a, a grievance that you have, that there's this dispute between you and another person, Jesus says, leave that gift. Stop. And first go be reconciled. And then come back. Jesus is ultimately teaching that forgiveness can and should interrupt prayer. You see, he's teaching that we begin with forgiveness. We are forgiven. We've experienced this. We know what amazing grace is like. And we forgive And then we come back to God asking daily for our forgiveness. And we do this over and over and over again. And if you ever feel like this is interrupted, if you ever feel as though, you know, maybe you're not asking God for forgiveness every day, then it it just might be that you haven't forgiven others yet. You haven't experienced and known what it's like to extend mercy, to give mercy, where you can actually go back to the merciful Father asking that he would forgive you. This is a disciple's prayer. It teaches us how we are to pray. It teaches us how we are to live. It teaches us how we are to follow Jesus. And most importantly, it teaches us how we can continue to be grounded in the gospel truth of grace and forgiveness. Now, I want to end today's message just by going over a few things on forgiveness because I think there's a lot of things, uh, a lot of confusion surrounding forgiveness. You know, forgiveness is one of those things that's really easy to talk about but really hard to practice. You know, uh, this week I scrolled through a number of newspaper editorials on forgiveness and listened to a number of TED Talks on this topic. And I can tell you confidently, Christian forgiveness is completely different. First, according to the gospel, forgiveness is not a feeling. I know often we hear or we say, you know, I don't feel like forgiving. I don't feel it in my heart. I can't forgive with my heart. Well, the Bible teaches that forgiveness is not an emotion. It's a command. It's a command for those who follow Jesus. The second confusion is, forgiveness is not about you. It's not about you. Uh, You know, often we hear in the world, um, you have to forgive for your own sake. You have to forgive 
to be mentally, psychologically healthy. Uh, we hear, be the bigger person and forgive. Well, Christian forgiveness isn't about being the bigger person. Christian forgiveness is about displaying the power of the cross. See, when you forgive, when we forgive, we're actually entrusting the brokenness and the hurt to Jesus. And we're ultimately saying, you know what? Your cross is sufficient. Your cross is sufficient not just for the sins that I've committed to purify me, but your cross is sufficient to heal the brokenness I've experienced from others. When you extend forgiveness, you're displaying the power of the cross. Third confusion or third misconception, forgiveness is not forgetting. Yes, we hear it often, forgive and forget. But that tends to minimize the hurt. Forgiveness is not about forgetting. But forgiveness means that you don't hold the person. You don't hold the guilt over that person. Another misconception, um, there's this idea out there that forgiveness is the lack of consequences. Right? If you forgive, it means, you know what, that person um, no longer faces penalty or consequences, and that is not the case. Okay? God forgave us, but not only did he forgive us, but he enacted that forgiveness on the cross. Right? So it doesn't mean that forgiveness is the lack of consequences. It just means that when you forgive, that you are ceasing to be a judge and arbiter. When you forgive, you're giving up that seat of judge and arbiter, trying to exact vengeance. Finally, I think um, a fifth, uh, the fifth and final misconception. Uh, forgiveness according to the gospel um, is not conditioned upon the other person's remorse. I know we tend to think and feel, you know, the only way I can forgive is if that person realizes, if he understands how much pain he caused me. I know we tend to uh, think, you know what, once that person knows how much he's wronged me, then I will forgive. No, friends, forgiveness, the forgiveness that we give is, is never conditioned upon the other person and his or her penitence or realization or remorse. No, the forgiveness that we give is conditioned upon the forgiveness that we receive. See, you and I will never know the full extent of our sins. See, you and I will never be fully remorseful for the full extent of the sin that we have committed against a holy God. Even our most sincere repentance falls short of that. Even the most sincere repentance falls short of the guilt that we have incurred because of our sins. So even for us, no matter how remorseful we may be, no matter how 
sorry we may be, repentant we may be, we, we will always fall short of the offense we have caused and given to a holy God. And because of that, Scripture teaches us our forgiveness, the forgiveness that we give to others, isn't conditioned upon how sorry the other person is. We realize today, as we once again think upon this prayer, that we are forgiven, we forgive others, and we come back to God asking for forgiveness daily. And in this way, Jesus is teaching us to pray. He's teaching us to follow him. Uh, let me just end with um, reading this long um, excerpt. Uh, it was written by a professor that I had who was actually wronged uh, by close friends. It was public humiliation. Um, he was ousted. Um, he was, you know, people called him a heretic. Um, and um, they wronged him in, in very serious ways, jeopardizing his livelihood, his career, his reputation, everything. And everyone knew he was so hurt and broken. And he actually wrote this. And I think it's, it's a good summary of what Scripture teaches on forgiveness. And let me just read this to you. He writes, We are commanded by Jesus to forgive others, even those, especially those who have wronged us. He commands us to do so because when we forgive, especially those who have wronged us terribly, we are most like him. Forgiveness does not mean that we make believe the injustice never happened or make light of it. It means that we cease harboring ill against the other. We let it go. Forgiveness does not depend on our ability to bring the other to the same realization. We can't control the other person. We can only control ourselves. Our forgiveness must commence regardless of the other. We can only make the decision for ourselves to move to the center. We cannot force the other to take the same step. Forgiveness is not for the weak. A barrier to forgiveness is our sense of justice. If we forgive the other and move on, where is justice? But this is why forgiveness is so hard. It is easier to forgive if we feel some guarantee that justice will be delivered in the near future. But that is not forgiveness. Forgiveness looks only within what we can do. It does not think of what should be done to the other. When we focus on the injustice that has been done, it will become a dominant thought. And so we might be tempted to be God's instrument of justice to help things along. But we should be careful in our zeal about seeking justice. For God is an impartial judge. If we call upon him to bring justice to our offender, he will begin with us. So we should not call down justice upon the other. The role we have been given is to forgive. Justice is what God will do, and he will do it mercifully. When we forgive, we are reminded of the mercy that has been shown to us. 
when we forgive, even though even the most malicious of acts, we begin to see, only then can we see how we have been forgiven. When we forgive, we know God more clearly. Even when the wrong done to us carries with it such an overpowering sense of malice, when we are filled with disgrace, humiliation, isolation, even then we forgive. Especially then. Because when we feel this way, we have the privilege of feeling what Jesus felt. Disgrace, humiliation, isolation. And when we forgive, we are most like Jesus. Forgiveness is deciding what kind of person you want to be, what kind of life you want to live. It's a decision whether to be more or less conformed to the image of Christ. That decision is before us more often than we think. Let's pray.